myself and think, Lord, the, the place you brought me from and to where I am today and from where I was back then, it's just absolutely amazing. And I'm amazed at how God so arranged circumstances in my life that led me across the pathway of a group of people who God strategically used in order to bring me to faith in Christ. And I, I remember the, the day that I was saved. I remember when the Holy Spirit was convicting me so hard about coming to faith in Christ. I'm grabbing a hold of the back of the pew. And it's like, I shall not be moved. And God says, oh, yes, you will. And sure enough, I took that, like the video, uh, first step, first step down the aisle, led to the next step, the next step. And I came down, and Ken Dugas uh, led me to faith in Christ that Sunday morning. And that began a journey that forever changed the trajectory of my life. And so that's what we want to see in your life and we want to see in the lives of others. So I, I view this as one of the, the um, greatest uh, teachings that I do uh, in this classes 101 through 401 and a series that we call, um, you know, kind of discovering, this one's discovering your mission. We have discovering uh, your, your church membership, discovering spiritual maturity, discovering your ministry, and this one's on our mission. What is our mission? And I'm following this up with the book of Romans because the book of Romans takes the gospel and just so breaks it down, makes it so understandable. And if you grasp the book of Romans, you will grasp every book in the Bible like you never have. I've, I've waited 30 years to preach through the book of Romans from beginning to end, and it's going to happen right here at our church. So i I'm already studying on that and preparing those messages uh, well in advance. So take your book and open to the very first page. Um, and as you can see, this is, a, this is one of the classes in a series of classes that we do here at our church. And so we talk about being committed to as a member of God's family, the habits to spiritual maturity, having a ministry in the church. It's very important that you have a ministry, but you also have a mission. So ministry is what we do inside the church. Mission is what we do outside the walls of the church. And so the basis for this class is um, as follows. I, I was created to fulfill God's purpose. Now, you know, the Bible says the Lord has made everything for his purpose. And so... Listen, everything God ever created, he created on purpose, not by accident, not oops, I made a mistake, we'll let it slide. He created it for a very unique purpose. And I think you're not here by accident. Those who are online are not here by accident. God wants you to understand the purpose for which he has created you and what it is he wants to do in you and through you so that when you leave this world, which you will one day, that you will stand before the Lord Jesus unashamed, uh, you know, uh, because I, I fulfilled the purpose for which God has, has created me. A lot of people say, you know, in trying to lead people to Christ, they'll say, well, you know, God's got a wonderful plan for your life, and, and it's just going to be wonderful, and, and, and life's going to be great, and it's never going to have any Listen, God does have a wonderful plan for your life, but not every aspect of that plan is wonderful, right? Sometimes God's purpose plan for you which one is to become like Christ, he uses painful events in our lives in order to bring us to that point of conforming us to Jesus. So though it is a wonderful plan, not every aspect of it feels wonderful, right? So we have Christians in Afghanistan right now who are laying their lives on the line, right? The Taliban are coming up to them. If they find out in any way, shape, or form, they've got a Bible app on their phone, they've got a Bible on, or anything of that, they shoot them on the spot. Why? Because... 
God has a wonderful plan for their lives, but that's not wonderful. But when they move out of this world into eternity, trust me, God, they, they will have new perspective, perspective they never had before, and, and God is, he's unfolding his plan. Number two is God planned my life mission before I was born. I love Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, God is our maker, and in our union with Christ, he created us for a life of good works, which he already prepared for us to do. You want to circle that, already prepared. Right, So God planned your life mission before you were born, before he knit you together in your mother's womb. And there's a unique factor in that mission, and there's also a universal element to that, that calling, that mission. So the universal element is what we are all called to do. Right? We're all called to go and make disciples. This wasn't limited just to the disciples of Jesus. This was a calling, the mission given to all believers, all followers of Christ. That's the universal element. But then there's the uniqueness in that God uses your uniqueness, your, what we call your shape, your spiritual gifts. So everybody has spiritual gifts, maybe one, two, or more. Not necessarily all the same for us. God's giving you a heart, a passion for something. He's given you natural abilities that you were born with. You, give, you were given a personality that is unique to you, and you've been given experiences, right? Um, painful experiences, mountaintop experiences, educational experience, uh, all kinds of you know, experience in your workplace. All of that makes up your unique shape that will help you understand what it is that God's calling you to do and how to do it. It's not just a question of where, but also a question of how. And so that unique element will help you come to that understanding. The next one is fulfilling God's mission brings glory to God. Jesus said, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. How do we glorify God? When anything in creation fulfills its purpose, it brings glory to God. Uh, let me repeat that. When anything in creation fulfills the purpose for which it was created, it brings glory to God. Why did God create you? How do you bring glory to God? Well, there are a lot of different ways. You bring glory to God by worshiping him, right? God created us to have a relationship with him, to worship him, to adore him, and to bow our knees before him. When, when we are loving other people, we're, we're like Christ, right? So we're doing what Jesus taught us to do. We're, we're bringing glory to God. When I walk in faith, I can bring glory to God. Because when people see your faith, it, I mean, and you, in the midst of your faith, especially if it's like a senseless tragedy where you're got, you've got more questions than answers, and you're still chugging along in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ instead of just, you know, cashing it all in and giving up and walking away, people see that, and they see the wonder and the beauty and the amazement of your God, and so you're bringing glory to him because God is being big and wondrous rather than no faith or a lack of faith, and then we make God small and kind of on the level of humanity, and then we start demanding God give us explanations. We, when we serve others through our giftedness, when we tell others about Jesus, these are all ways that we bring glory to God because that is the purpose for which we were, we were created. We put God on display. And then the primary task in my life is to fulfill my mission. The most important thing Paul said or Luke said, is I completed my mission, Paul, the, the, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. So regardless of what else you do with your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has an assignment for you. 
So here's the goal of this, this whole class or this whole time together. And I know this is not like I'm not preaching a message. Um, well, I might get fired up here shortly, but uh, it's more of a, a, a class atmosphere. But here's the goal of this is that we would commit the rest of our lives to being a messenger of God's good news to other people by using our time, talents, and treasures for his kingdom, regardless of where it leads or what it costs. Because it will lead to some places and it will cost some things if we're actually going to follow Jesus. When you're following Jesus, it always requires faith, right? Because you never know where he's going to ask you to go. You never know what he's going to ask you to do. And oftentimes he's constantly pushing, you know, we have our, um, the circumference of our comfort zone and we want to stay inside of that and we want to live inside of that comfort zone. But if we're going to follow Jesus and move with him, we have to move outside that comfort zone. And so this is the part of the commitment. It's a willingness to say every single day of my life, Lord, I'm going to pick up my cross, which is an instrument of death. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, wherever it is that you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do. I'm here as a servant of yours. And this is what we saw in the life of the disciples, right? They didn't start off that way, but they grew into that. And so when you get to the book of Acts, you see that entire thing begin to unfold as God's people are literally laying down their lives for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many people around the world, and if you've ever gotten the magazine, if you haven't gotten the magazine, you ought to get the magazine called The Voice of Martyrs so that you can see how many Christians have to live around this globe who are continuously and constantly being martyred for their faith because they're willing to lay it all on the line. And so sometimes in America, we have it so well, and we've never really been that persecuted, sometimes we become complacent where we are, and then we, we don't push outside of our comfort zone. I'm telling you, if you're going to lead people to Christ, there, nothing will bring you greater joy than have a part in that, but also nothing will bring greater fear in your heart as you're participating in it. So you have to push beyond so on the next page is the class outline, and in session one, I'm spending two messages there, two messages on session two, one on session three, one on session four, which makes the total of six messages. So that brings us to uh, session one, discovering my life mission. And you notice it says, to discover your mission in this world, you must first understand God's overall purpose for creating us, and then Jesus's mission in coming to earth. So that's where we're going to try to cover those two points uh, this morning and a little bit of extra. I'm keeping my eye on the time, and when the time's up, I'll stop, and we'll just pick up next week. All right? So God's purpose for creating us. Number one is we were created to have a relationship with God. This is so, so vital, right? Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. What does it mean by our? He's speaking of the Trinity. God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, one essence. God created us as triune beings, spirit, soul, and body, one person, one essence. And so Adam and Eve, when they were created and placed in the garden, God breathed into them the breath of life, the spirit of God. They were a triune being, spirit, soul, spirit, and they had a relationship with the creator, the Lord God who created them and placed them. So they had the ability, therefore, to because they were spiritual beings, to communicate with God. You know one of the things you'll never see your dog do before a meal? Pray. I, I'm not going to happen. 
Now, you might see a bear kneel and pray before he eats you, but other than that, it's probably not going to happen. See, the animal king, we are so distinct and unique from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom are not, they're not spiritual beings. Yes, they have a body. Yes, they have a soul, but they do not have a spirit. And God, you know, um, thought of us first, but created us last. And we were made to reflect God's nature and his goodness to the world around us. And therefore, as triune beings in relationship, God created us with a moral conscience that is built into us. And that moral conscience knows the difference between right and wrong. Now, we live in a day and time where everybody wants to blur those lines, and man is now supreme, and man wants to determine what what is right and wrong, regardless of what God says. Listen, if God calls something sin, and our culture calls it not sin, trust me, at the end of your life, you're giving account to God. You're not giving account to the culture. God still says it's sin. But this is where the moral conscience gets muddied, and then it becomes, as the Bible teaches, it becomes seared, right? I'm no, longer in, I'm no longer in relationship with the Father because every human being comes into this world. That relationship has been severed because of sin. Therefore, we are spiritually dead, disconnected from our Creator. We are not living as spiritual beings. We're living as natural beings, and we, we muddy up our conscience, and we sear it, the Bible says, And when you sear something, it's like a branding iron, and it becomes numb, and it becomes dull to that which is is really wrong. That's why why we can have things where we say, well, let's abort babies right up to the last 15 minutes of their birth. But then after they're born, if somebody, a parent, took the life of their child, they would be sent to prison. It just makes no moral sense. But that's what happens when you start muddying the waters of our moral conscience, and so God's... God, God created us to have every human being to have a relationship with him. And so long ago, he says, before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And so you were made for relationship, relationships with God and with others. When did God say it was not good? In the garden, when Adam was alone, not good. God created you for both levels of relationship, a relationship with your creator, the heavenly father, and with other people. Those are two relationships that we all need and are all vital. So when people don't either develop a relationship with God, then they miss the very reason why they were created to begin with. So now you have to try to navigate through life replacing God with something or someone else. And that's what humanity has done. That's what fallen humanity has done. That's what I did in my life. It's what you did in your life. And so God's plan for you is uh, older than the plan for earth. He says before he even created the earth, he had us in mind. He knew humanity would sin. He knew humanity would fall. And I'm going to get into all that. We'll get into that in the book of Romans. But he created us because we matter to him. So you are not made just to get a good job and live life happily ever after or to have kids and get married. Those are all bonuses, but we were created to bring God glory and to have relationship and fulfill his purpose here on earth. So number two, we were made to become like Christ. We were made to become like Christ. For those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
Do you know when God made Adam and Eve, what, the first temptation in the garden, what did Satan say? If you eat of this fruit that is forbidden, you'll be like God. And what he was saying to them, in essence, is you will be God. And so Adam and Eve, they did, right? They ate, they partook. They spiritually died that day. They progressively died in their soul, their mind, will, and emotions, and ultimately in their body. And so what does it mean? What, what is the temptation to be like God? He tempts you to think that you are a God. That's the oldest temptation. But the Bible teaches that you can become you don't become a God, but you can become godly in character. And so this is what it means to become like Christ. We become godly in character, which produces godly actions. And character means it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So I love. I, I, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and so on. And so in, in, in character, having a love for God, a joy for God, a peace of God, the patience of God. And so when that when that fruit becomes the character of my being, I am displaying Christ to the world around me. And so fruit is made for what? It's not made for you. It's, if you're a fruit tree, it's made for the purpose and the benefit of others. And so we enter into this relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God's goal throughout the course of your lifetime here on planet Earth is to develop godly character within you, the character of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so God will use any means necessary to see that that happens. So what happens when God puts us in some very painful situations for the producing of fruit? We read the verse in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things God works together for those who love him and who've been a call according to his purpose. And then verse 29, because he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And what Paul is saying in verse 28 is simply this, Regardless of what painful event you may experience that God leverages, not because God sent it, he just leverages it. We live in a fallen world among fallen people. He simply says that painful experience will not have the last word. Christ will have the last word because he's going to leverage it to bring fruitfulness within us. I, I would dare say that most of us would say in our lives, our own personal lives, at the, the point in time where God developed the most godly fruit in my life were through some of the most painful experiences I've ever had. I know that's true for me. I don't know about you. And so he says, just as we are now like Adam, the man of the earth, so we will someday be like Christ. And that day will come when we enter into heaven. God will have completed that process, what he began the day you gave your life to the Lord Jesus and became a follower God's working in you, molding and shaping and fashioning your life into the image of Christ. Listen, like in your family, like if you're a parent, you're the closest thing to Jesus that your children will understand at that point, right? So you, you, we talk about Jesus for them. That's an abstract thing. They're too young to grasp that, but they, they do know mom. They do know dad and, and how they behave and what they do and what they don't do and so on earth, spiritual maturity is all about becoming more and more like Christ. And on that day when God finishes the task is when we will leave this world and enter into his presence. Here's how John put it. We, we know that when Christ comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. So God's first two goals for your life is that you have a relationship with him and that you become 
like him, specifically like Jesus in character, which is the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in your life and your actions. Here's number three. We were made to serve God's pleasure, or God's purpose, I'm sorry. We're made to serve God's purpose. Uh, again, out of Ephesians, God has made us as what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. So again, God has never made anything without a purpose. Every rock, every plant, every animal has a purpose. You have a purpose. God didn't make you by accident. He made you on purpose for a very specific reason. And so we all have to live for something, right? There, there has to be something which captures our imagination. There has to be something that captures our imagination, our allegiance. Our, it, it is the resting place of our deepest hopes and dreams, and we look to that to calm our deepest fears. And whatever that thing is, is what we worship. It's what we serve. So God created you for a five-fold purpose, all right? And the answer is five questions through those purposes. Number one is what will be the center of my life? What is the center of your life? What did God create to be at the center of your life? The spirit of God, right? Christ. He is to be the center of our lives. And so whatever is at the center of my life, where, where I'm basing my hope and trust for my ultimate satisfaction and significance in life, that is what I will worship. So what is it that you worship? What is at the center of your life will unveil what it is. So if you center your life around career, family, sports, hobbies, money, all those, there's, there's nothing innately wrong with those things, but they were never meant to be the center of our lives. We came into relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, to be conformed to his image so that we now allow the spirit of God to live through our soul and thus through our body. And the spirit is at the center of our being and everything flows out of that relationship. And that is the essence of what we worship. Number two is the question, what will be the character of my life? This is the question of discipleship. God, God created you to be a disciple. As he, he, he created you on purpose. What kind, of, you know, what kind of person will you be? You know, God's far more interested in what you become than what you do. It's not that he's not concerned about what we do, but he's far more interested about what we become. And so remember, you will take your character into eternity, but not your career. So who's formulating your character? Is the Holy Spirit formulating your character or is culture formulating your character? Paul said you can only live one of two ways, either walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, which, which pathway am I walking down? Because the outcomes of those two pathways are very, very different. We will be... Um, what will be the contribution of my life? It's the question of serving or ministry. What's shaping you? What's shaping your ministry? Again, it goes back to your unique shape that God's given to you. We'll, we'll talk about that at a later time. Number, the fourth one is what will be the communication of my life? That's the question of your mission, mission or evangelism. Where am I committing? Now, commitment means uh, of your mission is twofold. Sharing your testimony or testimonies, because you have more than one testimony. You have testimony of salvation, but you also have testimony of life events lived out with your heavenly father. And then you have the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to be able to share both of those. At a moment's notice, 
given whatever time allotment we're given. So if God were to bring somebody across your pathway inside an elevator, it's just the two of you, you've got nine floors to share with them the gospel because God's giving you that opportunity, what would you say to them? Well, if you've not thought through that process, you probably won't know anything or you just won't say anything. So we want to help you out. So my life, your life is driven by whatever our mission is. My mission, I've shared with this many times, my mission is to help people find uh, forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ because that is the essence of the power of the gospel that supplies that. Then what will be the community of my life? What's the question of fellowship? How do you demonstrate your commitment to other believers? There are 48 one another's in the New Testament alone about the uniqueness of the church of Jesus Christ and how we relate to one another in fellowship. And that's why we say life is better connected because you were made for community. Here's the fourth reason uh, is um, we were made to last forever. God did not create you for time. God created you for eternity. You spend a, a lot of amount of time here on planet Earth, but your, your existence isn't limited to planet Earth. Every single human being who has ever been created by God himself was created for eternity, not for time. And the Bible is not fuzzy about the fact there's only one of two places you can spend eternity, either heaven or hell. Now, I know that people push back on that and they you know, all kinds of things and say it's not fair and God's not loving and, and on and on it can go. I, you can push back all you want. This is what God has revealed in his, in his word. It says he has planted eternity in every single human heart. And so you were made to what? Have relationship with God, become like Christ, to serve God's purpose here on earth, to last forever. In other words, this life is preparation for eternity. It's preparation. It's like a dress rehearsal. So however long you live, 60, 80, 90, um, Don Kirshner just celebrated his 95th birthday this past week. Um, I mean, however long you live, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, it, it's, it's a short period of time when you construct it against the backdrop of eternity. So how are we going? This life is preparing us for what it is God has. But in this life, everything, therefore, is temporary. Everything is temporary. My house, my car, my trophies, my whatever else you have, it's all temporary except people. Every single person was created not for time but eternity. This is why people are so vitally important to the Lord. If your heartbeat and my heartbeat is beating in sync with God's, then the people he created for eternity and where they're going to spend eternity is vitally important to God, and therefore it would become vitally important to us. Now, we can spend our entire Christian life thinking, not my problem, not my responsibility, I'm out of here, doesn't matter. But it is our responsibility. And Jesus has left this mission, his mission, in the hands of the church. So what was Jesus' mission? God sent Christ into the world to do what? To address the mess. This world fell. It became sin-soaked. And it was an absolute mess. 
It is still a mess. It'll be a mess till the day Jesus comes back. It'll be a mess after he comes back until Jesus comes and establishes his 1,000 millennial reign here on planet earth. It will never be anything other than a mess because you have a world full of messy people. And so God chose to address the mess of humanity by stepping into the realm of humanity, God himself, Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. At no time was Jesus any less than 100% God or any less than 100% man when he came to this earth and he took that human body back into heaven with him. And that body will bear the scars that he incurred while he was being crucified, and it will be a perpetual reminder for all of eternity, you and I are in the realm of God's presence solely because of the grace of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And no work, no self-righteousness, none of that. We are there purely by God's Grace. Our problem is that sin had broken our relationship with God and Jesus came. He had planned it out in advance. God did before the foundation of the world that he would send Christ into the world to bring us back into relationship. And so God's solution is what? He took the initiative upon himself it says, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. And so what did Jesus do specifically? He spelled out his mission. And here it is. I've given you all these verses. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. This is why I was born and came into the world to tell people the truth. I came to give life, life to the fullness. I have come as light to shine in their dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in the darkness. I must tell the good news about God's kingdom. That is what I was sent to do. So what did Jesus say? Here's why I came. I came to seek and save the lost, to tell the truth, to give life, to shine in the dark world, light in the dark world, and to tell people about the good news about the kingdom. Listen, your life mission is Jesus's life mission. His life mission became your life mission. That is exactly what we have been called to do. In other words, we are all, watch it, we are all missionaries. Now, the term missionary was a sacred and scary title when I got saved. It was like, well, if you were called a missionary, you were, you were like the spiritual elite. Like, you were the Navy SEALs of Christianity because, you know, you're, you're called out of the church and you've gone to a foreign country and to a place you've never been before and you had to learn the language and learn the customs and you're trying to reach unreached people. And, and so it was kind of scary. And every once in a while, you know, they were the heroes. Like, they would come back on furlough and come to our churches and they would just show us the slideshow and tell us what God's doing, what's going on. And we would just sit back in awe thinking, man. And so we would watch that, we would donate our money, and we would pray for them. But in the real sense, every single Christian is a missionary. I'm not trying to distract those from those who God calls out to go out to strategic cross-cultural places because he does that. And yes, we should support them. We should pray for them. But that does not make us any less of a missionary than they are. The question is not, are we a missionary? The question is, where and how are we going to be the missionary? 
God's calling into his mission is not a separate call that we receive years later after salvation. Like, you know, uh, it's the you know, green beret distinction for super Christians. No, it's our responsibility to tell people about Jesus wherever we are. In your family, in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, wherever God brings opportunity. God may send you out into the mission field. He may send you out into you know, a foreign country for a short-term mission trip like Kent was and saw you know, hundreds of people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've sent people out of this church many different places and, and sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Listen, the question is not... is. Are we to leverage our lives for the Great Commission? The answer to that is yes. Jesus was very clear about that. The question is, again, where and how? And this belief is what, belief was what made the gospel spread like a prairie grass fire all throughout the book of Acts. I want you to see something from the book of Acts. And this is where I'm picking up notes that are not in your book. So you can write them wherever you have room in blank space. The book, the outline will come up on the screen. As we kind of make our way, you know, at various points that Luke, the writer of Acts, goes way out of his way to show us that how the gospel traveled faster around the world, watch this, around the world apart from the apostles rather than with the apostles. You find this all through the book of Acts. So I'm going to give you a rapid journey uh, just because I think there are three things I think, I, for me, these are three convictions out of Acts that I think would literally change the world if we carried these convictions with us. Number one is this, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He really does. You know, Stephen was selected among the lay people uh, to be one of the first deacons. And of course, his responsibility was meals on wheels. Right? He was taking food to the widows. First meals on wheels in the Bible. Jot it down. And so Luke tells us, watch this, that Stephen, this, listen, this was not some glamorous job. And the reason why they selected these men to do this is so that the apostles would not take time away from prayer and the study and teaching of God's word. It's not that they, this was below them. It's just that this, was, this is what they were called to do. And so they selected these men. And, and so Stephen, the Bible says that Stephen served so zealously and so faithfully in his witness and so full of the Holy Spirit that he gained the attention of the entire community, including the Jewish priests. And several of the priests gave their life to Jesus. Now you can imagine what that would create. It created a riot. And out of that riot came persecution against the church, which shoved the church outside of the boundaries of Jerusalem into Judea and then into Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. So here's, here's how um, Luke records it in Acts 8. And there arose on that day, that day meaning the day that Stephen was, was uh, martyred, stoned to death, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, watch this, except the apostles. They stayed behind. Everybody else is being scattered beyond Jerusalem. Now, those who were scattered went out preaching the word. That word preaching just means telling the good news. And so what, what, what Luke gets us to see is that, you know, Stephen is martyred because, listen, Paul was a, 
you know, he was one of the leaders at that time known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee. He was very ticked over the fact that Jewish priests are giving their life to Christ. And he's going to, he felt that it was his calling of God to stamp out this new, this new um, Christian-based uh, religion called the way. And so Stephen is martyred. And as a result of that, you know, riots break out. The believers are forced outside of Jerusalem, carrying the gospel. Everywhere they go, the apostles are staying behind. So Luke goes out of his way to show us that the first time the gospel leaves Jerusalem, the apostles were not even involved. See, what we have reduced our churches to, and oftentimes, is, well, it's the pastor's job and responsibility to be sharing the gospel and getting people saved. Oh, no, it's not. It's the pastor's responsibility, according to Ephesians chapter 4, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry all by himself. Amen. And so um, the pattern of the, uh, that persists all throughout the book of Acts is this pattern. And I'm simply saying, I want you to see is that ordinary people have been and will continue to be the tip of the gospel spear. You have that capability. That is God's calling upon your life. It is a reason why God has gifted you the way he has gifted you and he has shaped you uniquely the way he has shaped you is because you're to be a messenger of the gospel of Jesus. Number two is the, the second conviction is that the Holy Spirit fills me. The thing that always struck me about Stephen's story is how brazen and how brazenly confident he was when he stared down the religious um, elite without a blink of an eye when they're about to stone him. Man, his stoning is about to come, and he just unleashes a, a sermon on them, sharing the good news of Jesus. He takes them back through their history and shares how Christ is the fulfillment of everything that Israel has been waiting for. That confidence came from Stephen's awareness of the fullness of the Spirit within him. We all have the Holy Spirit as a birthright of every believer. But the awareness of that power makes all the difference. A lot of people, you know, Christians walk around with the spirit inside them, this, this dynamic power source within us, but we're just not aware of it and we're not leveraging it. For instance, consider what the promise Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew eleven eleven. He says, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What, is, what did Jesus mean by that? He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist? Least in the kingdom means, you know, the least, maybe you know the least about the Bible. Maybe you um, are the least talented. Maybe you are the least eloquent speaker. Maybe you're the least in the getting of spiritual gifts. There are all kinds of things. Listen, our natural tendency, what you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that when, is that when God calls us out to do something and, and we, he calls us to move in faith, what's the first thing we do? We say, but God, you don't understand. I don't have the talents. I don't have the abilities. I can't remember. I, you know, I don't have the confidence. I'm afraid. And we start listing off all the reasons why God cannot use us. 
What God says is, listen, I'm not looking for your ability. I'm looking for your availability because the next time God's spirit says, listen, this is a person I'm bringing across your pathway and I want you to intersect your life with their life with the good news of Jesus. I want you to love on them. I want you to share Christ and you come up with your litany of reasons as to why you cannot be used. Might I remind you that Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Isaac was a daydreamer. Joseph was, and you know, he was abandoned. Gideon was afraid. Jeremiah was too young. Jonah was rebellious. Abraham was too old. Elijah became depressed. Naomi became bitter. Martha was a worry ward. And John the Baptist ate bugs. If he can use them, the most imperfect people in the world, he can use you. Stop relying on perfection. I've told you before a thousand times, you'll never reach perfection in this lifetime. That doesn't happen until you get to heaven. What we're looking for is progress. That's what God's looking for. Remember, I'm becoming, day after, I'm becoming like Christ. I haven't become, you know, full bore, but I'm becoming. I'm working my way there. And when I enter into heaven, when you enter into heaven, God will complete that process and that glorification will take place in perfection in body, soul, and spirit. The same God who called imperfect people still does. And now he's calling you, inviting and nudging and pulling you to respond to that calling. And you can respond in one of three ways. You can either respond like Jonah, who said, here am I. I'm not going. So he went the opposite way, right? God said, go here. He went the opposite way. You can respond like Moses. Here am I, Lord. Uh, send somebody else. Lord, you know, I stutter, I'm not eloquent in speech, I can't do this, that, and the other. Or you can respond like Isaiah who said, here am I, Lord, send me. You will never get to that place of sending me until you get to that point of absolute surrender and submission to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. Here's the last one, and uh, we'll, we'll finish here. We'll pick up next week. And that is this. Here's my third conviction. As Jesus was to me, so I will be to others. As Jesus was to me, so I will be to others. As Stephen died, he called out. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where did he hear those words? Aren't those not the words of Jesus himself? In his crucifixion, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And so in Stephen's dying moment, he is attempting to do for others what Jesus has done for him. And that's what God's called us to do. So the question is, where where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be headed in eternity? Now consider this. That is precisely where millions upon millions of people in this world are without us. Jesus sent the church into the world as the Father sent him. That means every single member is a missionary, and we have been sent, and the Great Commission is our marching orders.